we are talking about the star of wonder, that, that God brought a miraculous star at the birth of Christ. You're going to see throughout the series that that, in a lot of ways, points to what Christmas is. Christmas is how God brought light into the world. We're looking at how Christmas lights the way. This morning, we are talking about being the light of the world. And did you know that of all the things that Jesus Christ said that he was— I mean, he said he was the bread of life, he was the gate, he was the vine. Of all the things that Jesus said that he was, there's only one thing that he also said that we are, and that's the light of the world. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then we also see in Matthew, Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to to your Father who is in heaven. Again, of all the things that Jesus said he was, the only thing that he also said that we are is the light of the world. And this isn't just a, 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 a statement that you find a couple times in the Gospels. This is a theme throughout Scripture. And we're going to jump a little bit later in Scripture and find where God continues to tell us this. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to read verses 14, 15, and 16 today as we look at this call to be lights in the world. And as you're turning there, just here's some context for you. The, the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. It was a church that he started, and he, he's got this church going, and he left, and sometime later he writes back to them to continue to encourage them to follow Jesus more faithfully. And so would you hear the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 2. It will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you, but we'll read chapter 2, verses 14 15 and 16. Hear God's word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Last week, I told you that um, it doesn't matter what you get for Christmas if Christmas doesn't give you hope. This week, I want to tell you it doesn't matter what you give for Christmas if you don't give off the light of Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll continue. Father in heaven, Lord, Lord, the world is in darkness, and Jesus, the light of the world, has come to give us his light. So, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to be present in us? And Holy Spirit, would you fill us with the knowledge of your truth and the will to love that we would shine the light in this world as we shine the light of life, the light of Christ. And it's in the name of the Christ child that we pray these things. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So as we look at our three verses today, here's what I'd have you take away from today. Here's our, here's our outline. Respond First point here is this. Respond differently because your adoption is finalized. Second thing I want you to see is that we are called to reflect the contrast because your light is shining. And the third thing we're going to look at today is remain in the word because your Savior is coming. So first thing, respond differently because your adoption is is finalized. Our passage starts out, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Now let's start off with an, an oddly controversial question. Who are the children of God? 
Like, are we all, or is all people on the face of the planet, are we all children of God, or is it just a, a, a certain few? Yeah, I think, I think, honestly, for those who want to be, be a proponent that we are all children of God, that everyone on the face of the planet, no matter what your religion is, no matter your status, is that we're all children of God, I think a lot of times when I encounter that sentiment, the idea behind this is that, A, therefore we should all be loving to each other, and B, therefore we're all going to heaven. So stop fighting. But here's the question. I, does the Bible tell us that we are all children of God? What, is, what does God say about that? Now, actually, if you, if you turn to Acts chapter, you don't have to right now, but if you turn to Acts chapter 17, you will find the apostle Paul, he's actually engaged in this public debate with these philosophers. And he's trying to preach to them the gospel, and he's trying to tell them about the resurrection of Jesus. And in the midst of this debate, he actually points to a pagan poet. And he says, hey, one of your own people has said that we are all God's offspring. Now, what's interesting is that Paul, in a sense, he kind of does this in in, an affirming way. But the purpose of him bringing this up is not, therefore, we should all be loving to each other. Paul is saying that since you guys believe that we are all God's children, that makes God our father, and our father has something to say to us. And his call to all of us is to repent and to put our faith in his son, Jesus, who's resurrected from the dead. That's what it means to be a child of God. I think John Piper, a great pastor, he's got a great way to think about this. He says that, if, if we mean, when we say that we are children of God, that, that we are all creatures of God, that we're all created by God and bear his image, then yes, in a sense, we are all children of God. But if we want to say that we're all children of God, meaning that we all are going to inherit salvation and we all get the rights and privileges of being part of God's kingdom, then no, that's not what the Bible teaches Because we are only children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how we are adopted. Big word in the Bible. Adopted into God's family. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 says to us that in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus, the Son of God, that we become children of God in so much that we are now seated at God's table and heirs who will inherit the kingdom of God. And with our status as being adopted children for those who have placed their faith in the resurrected Jesus through a repentant faith in Jesus, this means we will live differently. Like if, if we've truly embraced what Jesus has done for us, if we've, if we've embraced our status as adopted children in the kingdom, we will respond differently. We will live differently. And here's one of the chief ways. I mean, Paul, Paul tells us, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And okay, so I'll be honest with you here for a moment. This past week, I really worked to try to get us off the hook here. I, I, I mean, I read like a ton of commentaries. I spent a ton of time on this one passage. I did language analysis. I I went back into the Greek. Like, is there a way to get around this? Is there ever a time for us that we can can grumble or dispute? I failed you. I failed you. Like, I I just keep coming back. It's pretty black and white. I mean, it's pretty simple here. Do all things 
without grumbling or disputing. I tried to get us off the hook, but I, I failed. Do you know why we, as adopted children of God, do you know why we don't argue, complain, or grumble? Because that's not befitting of who we are in Christ. You want to know what we look like when, when, when the church just starts to grumble and dispute and complain? Okay, imagine you're at Disney World. And you see a little kid here at Disney World, and he's got those cute little Mickey Mouse ears on, but the kid is throwing a hissy fit because his parents won't buy him an ice cream cone. You ever seen that situation? I'm not saying I was in that situation with my oldest son, but I mean, maybe. (laughs) You know, I'm in this situation, and you see this happening, and you want to say to this kid, hey, come here. Like, what do you got to complain about? Your parents have given up their life savings to bring you to the magic kingdom. Make it magical for them, okay? Like, what do you have to complain about? And sometimes when I, like the church, we've, we just, we, we've often, we've lost perspective. What do we have to complain about? God the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth, gave up his son to death on the cross so that we could have life and righteousness and security, what do we have to complain about? And I'm not saying that there's not things to stand up for in this world. Don't, don't misinterpret me. But what do we have to grumble about? What do we have to complain about? We are to respond differently than the world does. Because those who grumble, especially as adults, you just sound like a spoiled brat. It's Christmas season. We have got work parties to go to. We got parties with the in-laws to go to. Like the the most wonderful time of the year, oddly enough, gives us a lot of things to complain about, doesn't it? But seriously, like, oh, oh no, we have to go celebrate the birth of our Savior yet again. What do we have to complain about? The, The Bible says do all things without complaining or disputing. Your spouse starts to complain when the family party comes. You go ahead and just look at them and say, we respond differently because we are adopted children in God's kingdom. What do we have to complain about? We are to be blameless and innocent because this is, this is how children in the kingdom of God act, that we, we are people without blemish. We are the people who say and sing joy to the world because we are the ones who bring joy to the world As we show the world love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God. Second thing I want to look at this is that with our adoption finalized, we are to reflect the contrast because our light is shining. That we may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Many of you know, I I grew up like four miles from here, like out in the country. And as I was growing up, I always heard this term that like, you know, the, the stars twinkle or like the stars dance. And when I looked at the night sky, I just thought, I see little, little dots up in there. And then uh, it was like 15 years ago, I was on a mission trip 
in, in very deep parts of Appalachia, Kentucky, away from all like artificial light. And I was on top of a mountain, and I looked up into the night sky, and at that moment, I understood what the poets say and what the poets mean when they say the stars dance at night. I mean, these things were just shining, brilliant, twinkling, dancing in the night sky. Just, just this wonder just, over, just overtook me, and I was just captivated by this. And I was like, oh, oh. And then I immediately had a second thought, like, oh, that's, that's what the church is meant to be. That, that's, who, that's what Christians are meant to be in this world. That we give the world a sense of beauty and wonder and awe. We just, there's a mystery here we just don't quite get, but yet we, we just shine it. I want to show you a picture here. Um, you guys see the rectangle on here? You guys see that? Do we need to revisit what our shapes are? Do you see the rectangle here? Okay. Do you, do you see the circle too? You don't see the circle? What about now? Can you kind of see it now? A little bit? A little bit? Some of us? Okay. Oh, what about now? Do you see it now? Okay, see it? Maybe on dependable angle? No? Yes? Is, is it there? Is it kind of there? Let me ask you. Do you see it now? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the problem. For too many of us who, who claim the name of Christ, we're just blending in. This is, this is how much we are meant to stand out. When, when Paul talks about being lights in the world, when Jesus Christ himself says he is the light of the world and he's given this light so that we are now the light of the world, like, you can't hide that. But too many of us, we try to blend in or we just do blend in when we are meant to stand out. I mean, we are meant to be in this world a high-definition star in the night sky. The world is dark and the church is meant to shine. But for too many of us, we've just fallen into a trap of just blending in. Maybe we're there, like maybe a different angle we could see. So I want to give you three ways that I think the church is falling prey to just blending in in this world when we should be standing out. First way I think we blend in is with our political zealousy. Our interactions with politics and I'm speaking to Christians here. Our interactions with politics must firstly come and spring from our citizenship in heaven, even before our patriotism. An atheist can be a great patriot. But if the world sees us firstly by our political affiliation, I'm here to tell you, your light is already covered. Now, what I'm about to say other pastors may be, in their context, a little nervous to say that. I'm not afraid to say this because I know that I'm in the company of the true church, and the true church is not going to be offended by what I'm about to say. So let me just say it. Our drive, as adopted children in the kingdom of God, our drive is not to make America great again. Our drive is to make it on earth as it is in heaven. That is what the church, yeah, Amen. That is what the world should be seeing in the church firstly. Again, I'm not saying there's not things we need to stand up for. But I'm saying that our first call is to be a light in this world. 
And we are doing things that make us just blend in, that put a bowl over our light. And when we are political zealots, we just blend in. And I don't care what side of the aisle you fall on. We blend in when we become political zealots. We also, here's another way that we blend it in, with our pandemic engagement. What does the world see that you are most concerned about? A virus in the world or the spirit who is in you? Are you more concerned with the vaccination status of those around you or the salvation status of those around you? Now listen to me. When it comes to COVID-19, yes, you can be cautious and you can be responsible in ways that show that you're not also gripped by fear. You can also be reckless without being brave. I refuse to let the pandemic divide me from my friends who have different opinions. If they want to defriend me or ignore me, I'm still going to love them and I will not speak ill about them. The pandemic was, it was almost a once in a generation chance for the church to shine. When the pandemic hit, the world went into darkness. What better time was there for the church to shine? But for too many of us, we fell into the fire of dispute and controversy, and we ended up just blending in because we added to the noise. We were meant to shine. We're meant to point to Jesus. Listen to me. Again, it's okay to be concerned. It's okay to take this seriously. But too many of us, we just ended up grumbling and complaining. And I'm here to tell you, and I will repent before you, my hands are not clean in this either. But we are not meant to blend in, and the ways that we've engaged the pandemic, for too many of us, we just blended in, and our light did not shine. And I think this last one I'm going to say is um, one of the simplest ways for the church to show contrast Right? Because isn't that just what the stars do in the night? Don't they just provide contrast against the dark? I think one of the, one of the greatest ways the church can show contrast in this world is by showing up to church. But for too many of us, we have church indifference. We're indifferent to church. And this shows with our very inconsistent or lack of church attendance. And listen to me, okay? I'll be the first one to say here, like, I get it. I'm preaching to the choir. You've all showed up to church. Thank you. That's amazing. I I just have a conviction that when the church gathers, we shine brighter. And when we choose not to, I mean, why? Is it a bowl going over top of our light? I uh, saw a post recently. I want to make sure I say this right. I quote it right. I saw this post on social media. This person said, why would I go to church when Christians don't even go? And this was followed by one of a thousand links pointing to the statistics of lower and lower church attendance, even among evangelicals. Someone recently asked me, uh, so pastor, how big is, is your church? Well, clarify, this isn't my church. This is our church. It's God's church that we're all part of, but you get the question. I said, um, well, I mean, if you're speaking about our average attendance, our average attendance is about 1,200 people, um, you know, 1,300 recently. But I said, you know, the truth is, is I, I don't know how big our church is because we never all show up on the same Sunday. I mean, imagine if we did. 
I mean, praise be to God, we'd have probably standing room only, which is awesome. And we can be like our friends in China who are gathering in an underground church who have standing room only churches. My, um, my daughter plays for the TK freshman girls basketball team. And uh, when, I'm, when I'm at those games and, uh, you know, like in other sports and tournaments and stuff, when I'm at, at things like that, I've got to be honest with you. Like sometimes I sit there and I think, man, I, I wish Christians were as committed to church as what sports families are, commit, are committed to tournaments. I mean, they, I mean, sports families will, will drive halfway across the state bringing snacks and staying there for 13 hours. Like, you make me feel like I don't love my kids, okay? Like, and listen, I, I get that I'm probably just picking on low-hanging fruit here. But, but, but the point I'm getting at here is that we are just blending in if our priorities are just the same as the world around us. I mean, where's the, where's the yellow circle again? And, and when we make a priority of attending church and gathering with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship and celebrate Jesus, whom we say is the king of all the universe, and to worship him, like when we make a priority of that, we're showing the world that we stand apart, that our priorities are different. And that's one of the ways that our light shines, that we are willing to stand for the eternal things, not for the passing things. And I'm here to tell you, the beauty of the church is that it is eternal. The church will last no matter what comes. We may grow, we may shrink, but the church will last. And so will the word of God. You know, isn't this what we actually celebrate here at Christmas? That the eternal stepped into the temporal to save us and to gather us together? That we may shine the light? Isn't that what we celebrate here at Christmas? But too many of us are focused on the temporal and we forget the eternal. The church is eternal and so is the word of God. And that's what Paul leaves us with. We are to remain in the word because our Savior is coming. Paul says, holding fast to the word of life. And I know this term, holding fast, we don't use that a lot. It basically just means that we hold on to, that we cling to. But what is the word of life? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus taught us. We hold on to him. At one point, um, Jesus is out, out and about doing his Jesus thing, and he's out there teaching. He's teaching to the masses. And there's this one part in, in John chapter 6. He's, he's giving some really hard teaching, some, things that, some teaching that people, they just don't want to hear this. But he's teaching them anyway. And people hear this hard teaching, and they're like, yeah, no, I'm out. I'd rather go make TikTok videos. And they just like, they start to leave. And I just want to read to you what's recorded in John 6. After this, after this hard teaching, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, the 12 disciples that we all know and love, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They were willing to cling to Jesus and cling to his word just like they were going to cling to their life. We are to hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, Paul says here, in the day of Christ, that he may be proud that he didn't waste his time with the Philippians. 
that, it, that what he did had eternal merit, that had eternal fruit. So what is the day of Christ? Well, to understand the day of Christ, we need to go back to the birth of Christ. We need to go back to Christmas. So let me just ask you real quick, um, who here would say Christmas is your most favoritist holiday? Okay, all right. Who would say it's your least favorite holiday? It's okay, it's okay, it's your least favorite holiday. Anyone? Is it the snow? Is it, it's the snow, right? <laughs> you don't have to apologize to me. I mean, Jesus may be upset with you, but it's a... <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just totally kidding. I'm totally, totally kidding. Whether, whether Christmas is your favorite holiday or not, you know that for Christians, Christmas is, is absolutely foundational, critical, paramount to our faith. And I want to give you, I want to give you two, two big theological terms that Christians need to know when, when we walk this faith and when we, when we learn about Jesus. The first one is a word you probably all know. It's the word incarnate. When we talk about the incarnation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what the incarnation is. And for, for some of us, we're going to make the mistake of thinking, oh, okay, here we go. He's just giving us a bunch of like lofty doctrine words. I want you to, when I, when I describe to you what the incarnation is, please don't just hear like a definition. Think about what I'm talking about. Think about what Jesus did. Grasp, again, the reality of Christmas. The incarnation is the notion that God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, left heaven and took on human nature, took on human carnal flesh, so that God the Son would be born as Jesus, the Son of God, who is now forever 100% God, 100% human. Now, many of us know the incarnation, but I want to give you another, another big term. It's, it's the humiliation of Christ. And we're not talking about that, that Jesus was embarrassed. The humiliation of Christ talks about the humility, how he, became, how he was humble to leave heaven, to be born on that Christmas day, taking on the form of a serv- servant. Christ's humiliation, again, not, not as in that he was embarrassed, but that he humbled himself to take on human nature in order to save us. At Christmas, we, we, we celebrate the start of his humiliation, and that went through his entire life, all the way to the point of him being obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus took on human nature. He became a human so that he could pay for human sin. That when he died on the cross, being 100% God meant that he could cover all the sin. But also being 100% human meant that he could also pay for human sin. And this is who we get to worship. This is who we get to celebrate. There are four dates that Christians we need to hold on to equally. But I'm afraid we only focus on three of them. The first one is, is the birth of Christ. What we're celebrating here monumental to the Christian faith. We talk about the birth of Christ. We talk about the death of Christ. What he came to do, he came to die for us. That's Good Friday. And then the resurrection. Pretty soon we're going to be talking about Easter and the resurrection. But a lot of Christians, we stop there and we forget the fourth important date. And that's the return of Christ. Amen. Yes, amen to that. See, this is our place in history. Some of us lived before Christ. Some of us lived during Christ. 
our time in history, we're in the time as we long for the return of Christ. We look back on what Christ has done and look forward to what he's done. This Christmas, as we celebrate that Jesus has come, it should make us be rest assured that it, the fact that he's come gives us hope that he will return. This is the day of Christ, his return, when he returns to judge the earth. That our king lived and died for us and that by his blood we are adopted into the family of God. And this is made possible because of what we are celebrating at Christmas. At Christmas we celebrate the birth of Christ and this should cause us to look forward to the day of Christ. And as we look forward to the day of Christ, we should be looking at how we are living as we wait for that day. Jesus Christ, your Savior, is coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? When he returns, when he looks at your life, will he be able to see you being a shining light or will he just see another person blending in? When Christ looks at your life, will he be able to tell that you are one of his own? And you may be thinking to me right now, okay, pastor, take it down a notch. Jesus knows our hearts. Yeah, that should scare you. Because I'm going to tell you, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he's going to look at our life. Because our life is an overflow of what's in our hearts. He's going to look at your life. Will he see you blending in or will he see you standing out? Do you live in a joyful response to the love of God shown to you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Do you live out of a flow of that? Or did you become distracted by the world? Did you fall prey to the worry and fear that is out there? If you did, here's your call. Return to Christ. Return to the wondrous mystery of God's love for us. And you may be thinking, um, okay, pastor, shine the light. Will do. What do I do? Like, Like, what do I actually do? Tell me something to do. Okay, if you're like that, if you want me to give you a specific, what do you do? Here's what I'll tell you, church. Here's a way that you can actually shine the light of Jesus this week. Tell somebody about Jesus. Actually tell them what you are celebrating here at Christmas. Maybe you tell them in person. Maybe you just send them a long text message. Maybe you message them on on social media. I, I don't care. The church just needs to be shining the light of Jesus. Not just goodwill towards men, but good works in Jesus' name. Not just presenting gifts, but presenting the gospel. That's what we are to do. You want something to do? There's no better way to shine the light than to say the name of the one who is the light. So church, here's your call. This week, tell somebody what you are truly celebrating at Christmas. And if you do, you will be shining the light. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how good it is that we might call you Father adopted children into your family by the blood of your son. Father, I pray that for those who are part of your kingdom, Lord, I pray that we would shine the light. For those, Lord, who are not yet part of your kingdom, for those who have not yet accepted what Jesus has done for them, Lord, for those who have not yet embraced the love that you have for them in Jesus, Lord, let today be the day of salvation where they say yes to your son. And let your church here, let us be lights of the world bringing joy and peace and hope and truth However hard it may be, let us be the people who shine the light, the light of love, the light of truth, this Christmas. Lord, as we behold the wondrous mystery, Lord, call us again into a sense of wonder for what you've done for us. Lord, don't let us 
be distracted by the shiny wrappings of gifts. Lord, but let us be captivated, captivated by the shining light of our Savior. Let us be captivated again by the wondrous mystery that you have for us in your Son. And Lord, we do pray these things in his name by the power of the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. And amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.